0: Please uh, take your Bible, be opening it with me to the book of Colossians, chapter 3, the book of Colossians, chapter 3. We're continuing this teaching series about the family, the future family. What can you and I, as followers of Christ, do that uh, will position our family better for success in the future? What can we do? Because we know there's no guarantees, but what can we do individually that creates the dynamics, creates an environment that which increases the likelihood that in the future our family will be healthy, relationships will be strong, and things will go pretty good. So that's what we're talking about. And one of the things that's, I think, helpful to relationships is humor. We often talk about how laughter and humor, you know, it's good for the soul, just makes you feel better, and research tells us that it helps reduce stress. But it's also good in relationships to be able to laugh together. And so I want you to feel good this morning. I want you to be able to laugh because it's good for you. I want to show you a photograph. Why don't you look at the picture and then read the caption above it? Now, don't you feel better? Now, you're asking, what does that have to do with family? Well glad you ask because sometimes families end up being a wreck sometimes our children and grandchildren have a collision and it just makes a mess of things and often we are like the squirrel we're in an accident and we just run off and don't want a doctor to look at us We're going to try to fix it all ourselves. What I want to encourage us to do is to be like the couple who went to the hospital and had the doctor check them out. Now, sometimes we're uncomfortable with someone else helping us, but will you at least be honest with yourself? Will you allow God, using His Word, empowered by the Holy Spirit, help you do a self-examination and Ask the question, what can I do? Not what does my son need to do or my granddaughter need to do or my husband need to do or my wife need to do, but God, what can I do to be a better me, to be a better follower of Christ so that I am contributing increasingly in a positive way to my family and what it becomes in the future? I came across an article recently by a divorce attorney and what caught my attention was the title. You see it there on the screen. What a Divorce Lawyer Knows About a Happy Marriage. And when I, when I read that, I kind of chuckled. <laughs> but think about it. What a Divorce Lawyer Knows About a Happy Marriage. Five Ways to Prevent Divorce. Now this particular attorney is a woman who has been divorced herself. Her parents are divorced. And she has been an attorney... Representing one spouse in more than 1,000 divorces. And based on all of her experiences and conversations and readings, she wrote this article on the top five ways that you can prevent divorce. What she's learned as as a divorce attorney. Do you know what number one was? Look at it. Number one. Look in the mirror. And she said that was painful for her to do. Because the truth is, the only person you can control is whom? You. You can't control the attitudes, the behavior, the speech of others in your family. But you do have a say on your attitude. A say about your conduct. Say about your speech and how you approach relationships. And when you allow God to help you as a follower of Christ to work on you? Does it guarantee that your family will not have a wreck? No. Does it guarantee everything will be perfect in the future? No. But I'll tell you what it does. It begins changing the dynamics of your home and thereby creating a better environment for a better future. I am responsible for me. I am accountable to God for me. One of the other points this uh, divorce attorney makes is you have to stop blaming. Because when we go through life blaming, we, 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 we go through life with blinders on, so to speak, focused on everyone else, evaluating, critiquing, judging everyone else, and struggling to look in the mirror and see me, see self, and what I'm contributing to the future of my family both in a positive way and perhaps in a negative way. What I'm doing to help my kids become the adults that God wants them to be, or what I'm doing that's making it more difficult for my kids to become the adults that I want them to be, that God wants them to be. So in this sermon series titled Future Family, we're asking the question, what can we do individually to be a better husband, better wife, better parent, better son, daughter, better brother and sister that that pushes my family into the future in a positive way and increases the likelihood the future will be healthy and the relationships will be strong. And the foundational principle, if you will, is what we call the principle or the law of cause and effect, that what we do has consequence, that what I do, what I say, how I think has an impact, has an effect on my family both now and in the future. That that much of what's going on in your family's life today was created yesterday. And that much of what's going to happen in your family tomorrow is being created today. Now in Colossians 3 verses 18 through 21 he talks about the family, four verses. The preceding 17 verses talk about relationships, a relationship with Jesus and a relationship with fellow believers. And our premise is that we're taking these principles in the first 17 verses about relationships with one another as fellow believers and applying them to the home. And the reason he didn't say more about the family life is it's just assumed that if you treat fellow Christians a certain way, you're definitely going to do that at home. And then he gives some more particular guidance to the family. And so I want us to today focus on on verses 5 through, uh, through 14. But I want to begin by just reminding you of a little bit of what we said last week in verses 1 and following. So if you have your Bible, let's read together starting at verse 1. He said, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, for Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God, When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. The the, the, the starting point for having healthy relationships is your relationship with Jesus Christ. You've been raised and... Crucified with Christ. It's a spiritual experience talking about your salvation, that you died to the old life, the old person, and you're raised to walk in newness of life. You're raised as a new person, someone who now has a relationship with Christ. There's been a spiritual transformation that has practical outcomes in how you live and in your relationships. Therefore, you are to set your mind and your heart on the things of heaven. We live in this world, but this world is not our home. Our home is the kingdom of God. We're citizens of America, but more importantly, we're citizens of heaven. And our focus is to be the things of that kingdom, the things of heaven. And that is to shape how we approach life and how we make decisions and what our values are, what's important to us and how we go about relationships. And ultimately, he says, as you focus on heaven, you're going to realize that Jesus is king. He's seated at the right hand of God. He is God. He is the authority. And therefore, he is to play that role in your life. And if you do that, you're going to be different. If you do that, your life is going to look radically different than if you don't do that. And then he continues in verses 5 and following him. And what he does... And the next ten verses or so is he he, he describes two approaches to living. He, he describes two lifestyles. One is of this world or earthly, he calls it. It's the life of people who don't know Jesus Christ. The life that many of you lived before you came to faith in Christ, particularly if you were saved as a teenager or an adult. And then he describes the lifestyle, the the approach to living that is that is. Heaven, heavenly, your your focus is on heaven, and therefore it's Christ-likeness and it's godly character. It's the life we live as followers of Christ, and it's different than the life we lived without Jesus. It's different than the life of this world. And he he teaches in these verses that, that you've got a choice to make. As a follower of Christ, someone who's been saved and changed by the power of Christ and the presence of Christ, you have a choice to make, and it's this. Are you going to live like the person you really are, a Christian? Or are you going to conduct yourself and live like the person you're not, be a phony, live like somebody in the world? Someone who's not a follower of Christ. And that has consequences. Whichever approach you take. So let's, let's follow with what he says about these two lifestyles and then today kind of set the table a little bit and then over the next two Sundays look at the, the worldly, earthly lifestyle and then the following Sunday, the heavenly, the, the godly, the Christian lifestyle. But let's, let's set the table today for why that's important. Okay? Verse 5. He says, Therefore consider the members of your earthly body dead now some of some bibles will translate that put to death those things in your life that are earthly worldly and what are they immorality impurity passion evil desire and greed which amounts to idolatry and all of these are related to sexual sins we'll develop that next week even the greed and idolatry are connected with sexual sins we'll talk about that next sunday he said, for it is because of these things, these particular sins. This is, so there's a sin list, if you will, in verse 5, okay? A list of sins, sexual sins. He says it's because of these things, these sexual sins, that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked or lived when you were living in them, before you became a follower of Christ. But now, verse 8, You also put them aside, put them all aside, lay it off, like like, like taking clothing off. Anger. Verse 5 is sexual sins. Verse verse 8, sins connected with emotions. The way you talk, your attitudes, the way you think, the way you react. Put it aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. Verse 9, do not lie to one another. Since you've laid aside the old self, remember you've been crucified and resurrected spiritually with Christ. The old man is dead, you've put that aside, therefore you don't do these things that are associated with the old man. You laid aside the old self with its evil practices. Verse 10, and you have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Do you know that the sign that someone is growing spiritually, the evidence of Christian knowledge is not how much Bible you know, but how much you resemble Christ and how you think, talk, and live? Because we all know a lot of people who have a lot of head knowledge about the Bible, but their attitudes and and, and their relationships don't reflect it. The true knowledge of becoming more like Christ. Put on the new self who's being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Verse 11, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek, Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, etc. Verse 12, so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on. This is our new lifestyle. Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, kindness, Humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone. Just as the Lord forgave you, also you should forgive others. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Now let me ask you. Verse 5 is a list of sins, right? Sexual sins that we're to consider our body dead towards immorality, sexual sin of any kind, impurity, passion, evil desire, greed, etc. Let me ask you something. When an individual commits any, any of those sins, does that have an effect on their family relationships? Hmm? If a husband is watching pornography, does that have an effect on his wife? If a wife has an affair at work, does that have an effect on her family? Does our lax sexual mores have an impact on what our children think about stuff and how they approach dating relationships? Where, Where do kids learn how to be a husband or a wife? So there's this... Principle of cause and effect that that what we do has an impact tomorrow on our family. And so he says as followers of Christ, kill that stuff in your life. Then he has a second sin list in verses 8 and following. Anger, wrath, malice. We'll talk about those next week. If, If somebody has a temper or anger problem, does that have an impact on their family? Does that have an impact on the relationship between they, them and, and perhaps their grandchildren? If somebody is abusive speech, the, the, you know, in our culture sometimes we use, slam, we, we, we use, uh, um, uh, I'm, I'm drawing a blank, uh, um, sarcasm. We use sarcasm As an excuse to put people down, there there are some people who don't know how to do anything funny, how to say anything funny without it insulting somebody. That's abusive speech. Do you think that has an impact on family relationships dynamics? Do, Do you think that that maybe carries on into the future? And then in verses 12 and following, he says, this is what we're to put on as followers of Christ. Now think about this. Compassion and kindness, humility. Do you think that's going to have an effect on how a parent deals with a child when a child messes up? Hmm? Can you see how any of the things in the Christian list, the the godly traits list can can make a difference in the future as children grow up in terms of their self-esteem? One of the big mistakes we have made as Christians in America is thinking if we just bring our kids to church and we we get our kids involved in church activities, that'll do it. Folks, that's just a starting point. Who you are R, as a follower of Christ, is significantly more important than how many activities people participate in. We've made the mistake of, of measuring godliness by how much stuff we do, how many activities we go to, instead of how we live, talk, think, and deal with people in our personal relationships. And so, religiosity and church stuff has taken the place of genuine Christ likeness. So, what are we as followers of Christ supposed to do? Because I believe in the principle of cause and effect. People are free, God created us with free will, okay? We make choices. Our kids and grandkids make choices. Our spouses make choices. Our siblings make choices. We can't control them, but by allowing God to work in us, we can create dynamics at home that make for a better possibility. And if we make bad choices, we also increase negative possibilities. Is that not true? So what do we do? Well, let me suggest some things. As followers of Christ, we do not live like people who don't have a relationship with Jesus. We do not live according to what our emotions say is okay. We do not live according to what the earth or the world or the culture says is how a good person lives. In verse 5, he says, Consider the members of your earthly body as dead to these sexual sins. Put to death, the old King James, mortify, kill them. It means to, it literally means to kill, to put to death, to take drastic action with anything that feeds sexual sin in your life. Think of an alcoholic. What what risk is an alcoholic putting himself at if he goes to a bar? Hmm. Well, if if if. You're struggling with certain sexual sins and you feed that, you feed your body by what you watch, what you listen to, what you read, where you go, it's the same principle. And the scripture says you need to cut off, mortify, put to death, kill those things that feed in you sexual sin. Because sexual sins are going to be a head-on collision for your family. And one of the greatest gifts parents can give their children is security because you have a great marriage. And in so doing, you teach them how to have one. Because they learn their behavior when they become adults by watching you. Now they learn from other places as well. And that's why you want to give them the best example you can possibly give them. Jesus actually said some pretty dramatic stuff about this topic. Matthew chapter 25, verses 27 and following, Jesus said, You have heard that it was said you should not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Pretty drastic statement. So guys, what does that mean? Can we stop thoughts that come into our mind? No. You know what we can do? We can turn our eyes away real quick. We can refuse to watch certain things. We don't feed it. And then the less you feed it, the more you starve it, you'll find your thoughts becoming more godly. But the more you feed your members, your body, with immoral thoughts, immoral input, immoral stuff, the more your mind will go that direction. And it's not long until decisions start following your mind. Kill it. Notice what Jesus said. If your right eye causes you to stumble, what do you do? Gouge it out and throw it away. Is that a dramatic statement? Talk to me. Is that, is that pretty drastic? Yeah. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off, throw it away. Is that dramatic? Pretty drastic. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to, be, to go into hell. Now, I don't think Jesus is telling you to literally cut off your hand and gouge out your eyes. But he is making a very, very important point that you better cut off the life source that is feeding temptation and sin in your life. Because if you don't, it's going to destroy your life. Kill it. Kill it. What's feeding bad decisions in your life? And if you want to think just from the family perspective, think about the impact this stuff has on your family. So why would you want to feed yourself anything that increases the odds you might do something that would wound your family? In verse 8, talking about those emotional sins, anger and abusive speech and so on. He said, lay it aside. Put it off. Put it away. Rid yourselves of it. It's the picture of, of well, over spring break, I spent a couple of days cleaning out my garage It gotten kind of junky. Y'all have a junky garage? And two days didn't completely finish the job. Pretty bad. I made several trips to the dump. I threw a lot of stuff away. That's the image here. You've got to get rid of some stuff. It's also the image of, of taking off your jacket, taking off some clothes. And so when we, we use the excuse, well, you know that's just how I am. And God says that's, that, that's, that's a cop out. That's not justification for sinful behavior. That's because, that, well, you know how I am. No, throw it away. Take it to the garbage dump. Take that jacket off. You have an anger problem? Deal with it. You have a problem forgiving people in your family? You hold on to grudges? Change. You don't know how to show compassion to somebody when they're struggling? Let Jesus teach you. He was the master at it. Lay it aside. Put it off. Throw it away. Take those garments off. Those those are the, the negative instructions. Now the positive instruction. He said put on the new you, the new self, the new life. That's the compassion and the forgiveness. All the things he talks about in verses 12 and following, the kindness you know, sometimes we treat people at work with more kindness than we do people at home. We take those relationships for granted. We let our guard down. We're best behavior on, at work because we know we'll be evaluated. We may lose our job and come home and, well, you get the point. We ought to treat our family better than we treat anybody else in this world has an impact on the future of our family he says put on clothe yourselves it's the picture of getting dressed wear the beautiful new clothing that jesus gave you at salvation and even if it's not (coughs) not something that this world holds up as a value god says it's the value i hold up it's who you are it's who you are Be intentional about all of this. Intentional about killing. Intentional about putting away, throwing away. Intentional about uh, putting on. And and, and so be be intentional about cutting out certain practices in your life. And be intentional about allowing the Holy Spirit to help you develop new practices and new traits and new Christ-like characteristics in your relationships. Now why? Let me give you five reasons real quick to do this. Number one, it's going to either strengthen or weaken your family's relationships. Which of these lifestyles you practice, how intentional you are about becoming this or remaining that is going to affect the relationships in your family both now and for years to come. Here's a second reason. Which of these lifestyles you choose is either going to build up or tear down the self-esteem of others in your family, especially your children and grandchildren. Here's a third reason. Which of these lifestyles you choose is going to go a long way toward determining... Is there a sense of genuine belonging in your family? Is it a place where everyone feels safe and secure? They know no matter what, they will find love in that place. Here's a fourth reason, and this is a big one. Listen carefully. Which of these lifestyles you choose? determines whether or not the wrath of God is going to be on you and your family. Now, I want you to listen carefully because I don't want you to misunderstand. He tells us in verse 6 that when we choose the world's way, one of the results of that is the wrath of God comes upon us. Now, the wrath of God is both active and passive. There's the active judgment of God and the passive judgment of God. What do I mean by those? The active judgment of God is God choosing to intervene and judge and discipline. And that can happen now and it can happen in the future. When we choose to sin. The passive judgment of God is what we in culture normally refer to as just the consequences of our choices. God will allow stuff to happen in your life and he does not have to intervene and do it. It simply happens because it's the natural consequence of your choices and God says, part of my wrath, part of my judgment is if you want to dig a hole and jump in, I'll let you. The problem is when you dig a hole and jump in, it impacts your family, not just you. Both today and tomorrow. Romans one twenty four, look at this on the screen. Romans one twenty four. Next slide. God gave them over to the lust of their hearts to impurity. Twenty six. God gave them over to degrading passions. Verse twenty eight. God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. In other words, if you say I'm going to go down this road of bad decisions and and sinful approaches to living, God says you're free. He'll speak to you, he'll convict you, he'll draw you, but he says you're free. He won't manipulate you. He'll speak to you, but he, he says you're free. If that, if that's the, the, the choice you make, the path you want to live. Go. I sometimes hear people say when there's the tragedy of a teenager who was drinking and driving and there's a wreck and people are killed, and why did God? God didn't do that. The one who drank and got in the car did that. And God says if you're going to make those choices, Go. God didn't do that. So much of what happens in our life, we do. Others do. It's not God. And God's passive wrath is if you're going to make sinful choices, there's consequences. Both now and tomorrow, in the future, on you and your family. We don't live in a bubble. Bad choices today often creates problems tomorrow. Is that not true? Hmm? What about the future of our family? What, what about habits? What about making all these bad choices and creating habits and addictions that, that, that people struggle to overcome? They struggle for years, they struggle for decades. Some struggle for their whole life to overcome something that became a part of who they were because of choices that were made back there in the past. My family, on my dad's side, has a history of addiction. I made a decision as a kid, I wasn't going to drink because I knew if I did, I'd become an alcoholic. That's before I ever became a Christian. You just got to be smart about some things in life. We we make choices and, and then years later, we wonder why we're struggling with it. self-esteem issues for our kids. And, you know, there are wives and husbands that don't feel very loved because of the way their spouse talks to them all the time. And we, we, we reach that point of divorce and we wonder, what happened? That's usually when they call the Preacher. It's because you've been treating one another like dirt for 20 years every time you opened your mouth. There's consequences to either going the way of the earth or going the way of heaven. That's why he encourages us here to think about heavenly things and allow the Lord who sits at the throne to work in our lives to make us more like Christ as described in verses 12 and following. And what about creating for our family destructive patterns of behavior? We we talk about poverty and education in America and this vicious cycle that, that some people struggle to ever break out of. There's all kinds of people, some in this room and others watching by television, who have destructive relationship patterns, destructive behavioral patterns, and it's like a vicious cycle. And it gets passed generation to generation. Exodus 34, 7, the Bible says that God will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. that, that, That there are some patterns my kids learned from me. I wish they hadn't learned from me. There are other patterns I'm glad they learned But but if I'm going to be a wise man, a, a follower of Christ, I've got to be willing to look in the mirror and say, all right, what influence am I having for good and for bad? What patterns am I creating in relationships? Some of you have been courageous. Some of you, by the hand of God and the power of God, have changed the dynamics that you inherited from your forefathers. You've broken some of those patterns, but you would also bear witness with me, that's not an easy thing to do, is it? Show your family. Here's the fifth reason, and I'm done. Show your family what it means, what it looks like to be be a, a genuine, authentic follower of Jesus Christ, not just a religious person, not just a church person. Do you know that one of the reasons so many teenagers are turning away from Christ is because they see in their family a lot of good church folk, but not necessarily a bunch of people who are in love with Jesus Christ. And there's a big difference between being a good Baptist and loving Jesus with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. In verse 7, he said, that's how you used to walk. That's how you used to live. But now you're a new person in verse 10. Show your family members what it means not to be perfect, but to be real, to really love Jesus, to really be humble before Christ, to really be seeking the things of heaven, to really be growing in Christ's likeness. Are you perfect? No. Are you going to be perfect this side of heaven? No. But brothers and sisters, don't stay the way you are. Tomorrow you should be different than you are today. That's growth. Show authenticity and, and and not just in your knowledge of the Bible and how much stuff you do at church, but are you growing in compassion with your family members? Are you growing in kindness with your family members? Are you growing in the ability to forgive when it comes to your relatives? Are you growing in the ability to be patient with your family That's how you show them you're a real follower of Christ. You're becoming a better disciple, a better you. Be a role model they can follow for genuine fellowship of Christ, a person they can admire and respect spiritually, someone they can trust. Someone they know will always treat them right. Someone they know will always love them. What legacy are you leaving? Book of Judges. And I close with this. Chapter 2, verse 7. The people served the Lord all the days of Joshua. And all the days of the elders who survived Joshua, those who served with him and outlived him, who had seen all the great work of the Lord which he had done for Israel, delivering them from Egypt and bringing them to the promised land. But then Joshua died. And they buried him. Next slide. And that generation, the ones that outlived him, they eventually died. But then there arose another generation, a third generation, after them who did not know the Lord nor yet the work which he had done for Israel. Let me ask you something. Grandparents, let me ask you. i want to ask every grandparent in this room something. Your grandkids know you go to church. They know what you approve of and don't approve of, what you think is right and wrong, correct? Do they know the intimate story of, of how you came to faith in Jesus Christ. you ever sat down with your grandkids and said, let me tell you about my relationship with Jesus and how I got saved? Do they know about times when you struggled or failed and how you found grace? Do, do they know your heart or is all that they know the religious stuff the the do's and the don'ts and the church and this do they know your heart that you love Jesus do they know have they heard those words you want to have an impact on your grandkids start talking about those things Talking about those things. Let Jesus, who's real in you, be real to them. Because they see it in you. Let's stand.